The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning is from Luke 2, 22 through 35. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. Happy fourth Sunday of Advent to you. Merry Christmas week. And also, Lord willing, as we are hoping and praying, happy last recorded worship gathering video. In case you missed the announcement at our Christmas gathering last week, we are starting weekly in-person gatherings on Sunday, January 3rd. So that's coming up. We're super excited to get to be together in person every week starting in the new year. Before we jump into our text this morning, I did want to give a quick update on where we're at with our Christmas offering. So in case you haven't heard or you missed it, uh, this Advent season, we are collecting a missions offering to go towards two different partnerships. The first is our Serve Charlotte Local Missions Initiative. And the second is to bless the Mission Church, a church plant in Norfolk, Virginia that was hit especially hard during this COVID pandemic. And so just want to give you a quick update. Uh, As of when we recorded this, we've had about 40% of us give something, some amount to the Christmas offering, which is great. We said we were going for 100%. So we'd love uh, for those of you that haven't been able to yet to step in in generosity and to give, uh, whether it's $10 or $10,000, whatever amount, it's not important. It's taking a step of sacrificial and joyful generosity, as well as we have right around $4,000 out of our $5,000 goal raised so far. And so the deadline to give for that, if you're still praying about it, if you've just forgotten to do it, no shame. Uh, The deadline is December 27th. You can give online, citizenscharlotte.com backslash give. Well, this morning we're wrapping up our Advent 2020 sermon series uh, where we've been looking at these various songs throughout the book of uh, Luke, the first and second chapter, where people in response to the good news of Jesus, in response to what uh, Jesus has done, entering into the world, taking on human flesh, bust out in song and prophecy and praise and worship to God. And this morning we're finishing up with Simeon. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and get to Luke 2. We're going to be in Luke 2, verses 22 through 35. Before we get there this morning, let me take you back in time to a story that I think kind of will give you a picture of what we're talking about today. 
So in the early months of 1836, during the Texas War for Independence, Colonel William Barrett Travis was leading a small group of soldiers in defending the old Spanish mission called the Alamo. And he was defending it from General Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana and his attacking army. And they had a fight and a war that was going on for months. And finally, by March 5th, 1836, there were about 190 men left in the Alamo. They were surrounded. They were outnumbered. They knew that a decision must be made. Do they surrender the fort to the attacking army or do they stand firm, hold their ground and most likely lose their lives? It was on this day, March 5th, 1836, that 26-year-old Colonel Travis took his sword and he made a line in the sand. And he said this to his men. He said, I want every man who is determined to stay here and die with me to come across this line. Fun fact, it's actually where we get our expression to draw a line in the sand today is from this moment in time. And, And that day, the men had to make a choice. They had to decide if they were in or out. If they were in, it was going to change everything. There was was no middle ground. There was no third option. There was no option C, in or out, with us or not, staying or fleeing. We're going to see today in Luke chapter 2 in the song and prophecy of Simeon is the truth that with the arrival 2,000 years ago of a baby named Jesus in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem that we have a dividing line in the sand of history. That when Jesus arrives with the announcement of God's kingdom come to earth, no one can stay in the middle. You have to decide which side you'll stand on. Jesus draws a line in the sand and calls us today to choose whether he is going to be Lord and King of our lives or not. Before we get to Simeon's song, let me make sure you're up to speed on the Christmas story so far. So in Luke chapter 1, the angel Gabriel shows up uh, to Mary And he shows up to her cousin, Elizabeth. Both of these women had no reason to think that they were going to be pregnant. Mary was a virgin. She was still betrothed, which is sort of like first century engagement to be married. And Elizabeth, the the text says, was advanced in age. The angel Gabriel shows up. He says, you're going to have children. Luke 2, Jesus is born to Mary in Bethlehem, the town of David, fulfilling a bunch of Old Testament prophecies and covenants and promises of God. They go there. There's no room in the inn, so they give birth in a stable. There's some shepherds outside the town doing their shepherd thing, watching their flocks. An angel shows up. He's like, boom, Jesus is born. A whole host of angels gather around celebrating and worshiping Jesus. Jesus is born. Eight days later, Mary and Joseph name the child Jesus like they were commanded to do by the angel. And then here we are, Luke 2, starting in verse 22. When the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph, as we already know from Luke chapter 1, are devout Jews. They knew their Hebrew scriptures. They followed the customs and laws and regulations handed down through Moses and the prophets and the priests. And so here they are in Luke chapter 2, going through with what was outlined in the Mosaic law given by God for his people for them to do. You see this a couple times in these verses. It says, according to the law of Moses, as it is written in the law of the Lord, according to what is said in the law of the Lord. So Mary and Joseph are going through the right and proper customs for them as Jewish people. Keep going. Verse 25. 
There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. We don't really have time to get into this today or really in this series, but I love how prominent of a role the Holy Spirit plays throughout the Christmas story. Like throughout Luke 1 and 2, you get glimpses of uh, all three persons of the Trinity working and moving in this story. You have God the Father who sends Jesus to earth. You have Jesus, God the Son, who takes on flesh. And then you have God the Holy Spirit working and moving in prophecy and in power. Just a beautiful glimpse of the Trinity here in the first two chapters of Luke. Let's keep going. Verse 26. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, all right, pause there. So there's a man in the city of Jerusalem named Simeon. A lot of people want to assume because he's in the temple that he's a priest, but there's no reason based on the text to think that. Most likely he's just a regular, ordinary, the Bible says devout and righteous Jewish man. The text says that Simeon is waiting for the Messiah. In fact, the Holy Spirit has revealed to him that he is not going to die. He's not going to see death until he sees Jesus. Now imagine for me real quick how news like that would affect you. Right. If you knew, if you had a word from God that you were not going to die until you see Jesus in the flesh, how would that affect how you go about your life? What kind of courage would you live with? I mean, you could take some serious risks, right? I hate heights, heights, falling, all of that is just no thank you, not for me. But if I knew, if I had a word from God that I was not going to see death until I see Jesus, I would probably go skydiving. Like, I would just have a lot of courage to do things I would never do in ordinary life. Lindsay would freak out. She'd be like, no way. And I'd be like, Lindsay, don't worry about it. Haven't seen the Messiah yet. I'm all good. Everything will be all right. Can you imagine the expectation that Simeon must have lived with? So he went to the temple day after day. Is this the day, Lord? Is this the day? Is the the Messiah coming today? Going to the temple every single morning. Am I going to meet the Messiah? Is he here How would that have changed how Simeon lived his life? The way he watched over his own soul, the way he loved the Lord, the way he lived in relationship to God and to others. I think about the weeks leading up to when Harper was born. So she was, uh, her due date was March 6th. And I think really starting January 1st, Lindsay and I just didn't want to make any plans, right? We had the bags packed. They were next to the door. Somebody would ask us to hang out. We'd be like, nope, we're just going to sit here. We're going to wait. We're anticipating something huge coming. This hopeful longing, this expectation that actually changes how you live your life. We've been talking over the past few weeks about how Advent is a season of both celebrating and remembering that Christ has come, but it's also a season to anticipate and to long for his second coming. I think there's a word here in the example of Simeon for us about how our expectation of Christ's second coming should look, where we go before the Lord and we say, is today the day? Bible's clear. No one knows the day or the hour when Christ will return. If, if someone tries to predict it, run away from them fast. Don't listen to them. But we're still called to a spirit of expectation. It's today the day. Simeon is waiting. He's anticipating. He's longing to see the great consolation, the text says, the great comfort promised to God's people. And, and here it is. 
this anointed morning, this time. Simeon goes to the temple and the Holy Spirit says, this is the child. And then he goes to Mary, he goes to Joseph and look at what he says. He takes the child in his arms. Verse 29, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is Simeon's prophecy. Two things I want to draw out for us and where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. Two things we see here. Number one, Jesus offers salvation for all people. Jesus offers salvation for all people. Number two, Jesus gives a warning for all people. Jesus gives a warning for all people. Let's start with the first one. Jesus offers salvation for all people. Let's read 29 through 33 again. First part of Simeon's prophecy. He says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. And his mother marveled at what was said about him. Simeon confirms that the spirit has made good on the promise. He has seen the Messiah, the promised one. This one who brings salvation. But then, then you get to verse 32, and this is shocking to us, and it would have been shocking to Mary and Joseph. And I think part of what their marveling is that it says they responded with is, is because of what Simeon says here. He says that Jesus would bring salvation both for Gentiles and Jews. So you have to understand what's going on here. Throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, the scriptures split people into two main groups. You have the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, who were God's chosen ones. And you have the Gentiles, who were basically everyone else. And God certainly loved all people. He loved both Jew and Gentile. But up until this point, he had a special covenant relationship with the Israelites. He related to them differently. He protected them uniquely. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago when we talked about the covenants and one of the covenant promises in particular, the, the Abrahamic covenant, God promised that he would bless Abraham and his descendants, the Israelites, but that through that blessing, he would also bless all other nations. It would be sort of like this filling up and spilling over that as the Jewish people worshiped and loved and celebrated God, other nations would see that and the way God cared for them. And they too would want to worship this one true God. So at this point in the history of Israel, Mary and Joseph have good reason to believe the birth of Jesus. The good news is for both those inside and outside of Israel. They just had no idea that it would be like this. What Mary and Joseph didn't know and what really would be a sticking point in the teachings of Jesus for so many first century Jews was the fact that God was building a new family. They had no idea that God would be welcoming in both the Jew and the Gentile. 
would not simply be that he would bless the Jewish people and then through that the Gentiles would be blessed, but that God in Christ would break down that dividing wall and bring together a new people for himself. Not one based on your family of origin, your ethnic identity, but based upon faith in Christ available to all who would trust and believe. This is what Paul writes about in Galatians 3, 7 through 9, when he says this, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Verse 9. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This long-awaited Messiah. Here in Luke 2, a 40-day-old baby in the arms of this old, faithful Jewish man brings salvation for both Jew and Gentile. So why is this good news? Because the majority of us watching or listening to this today are Gentiles. What this means is that this promise is for us. This salvation is for us. God and his divine foreknowledge and omniscience are all knowing this. When he promised to Abraham in 1850 BC, almost 2000 years before this moment in Luke 2, when he says to Abraham, in you shall all the nations be blessed. God knew that 1800 years later, Jesus would come and the church would start and the gospel would spread across geography, across time, across people groups. And now here we are today, December 20th, 2020, worshiping King Jesus as a fulfillment of the promise that God would call out a people for himself based on faith. The kingdom of God is here. And it's good news for you and for me. And there's salvation promise for all who would believe. For those who walk in darkness of sin and death, there is light. For those trapped in addiction and the corresponding shame and guilt that comes with it, there is freedom. For those burdened by anxiety and fear and worry and doubt, there's rest. For those striving to prove themselves and earn their standing with God and men, there is security. Salvation is offered for all in Christ Jesus. And we see this fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection of Christ and then taught over and over and over again in the scriptures. Here's just two examples. Romans 10, 12, where it says this, For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Same way, Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Jesus offers salvation for all people. That's what Simeon is saying here. He says it's for all. It's for Jew and for Gentile. There's hope for all who would put their hope and faith and trust in Jesus in this Advent season. Then you get to the second part. It's a little more shocking even than that. Jesus not only offers salvation for all people, but he also gives a warning for all people. I want you to take a second and and try to get rid of all the, you know, the story of Christmas filter, right? Just imagine with me for a second that there's a people, right? A nation. And for hundreds of years, they had been under the oppression and captivity to some foreign group of people who were trying to get rid of their ways of living, try to keep them from worshiping their God, all of this stuff. But during the course of those hundreds of years, they had been promised over and over and over again that a redeemer, a deliverer was going to come. There was going to be someone who would rise up and set them free. 
to return them back to the land that was theirs. Now imagine he shows up. What do you expect their reaction to be? Dancing, singing, celebrating, throwing a huge feast, practically worshiping this redeemer or this deliverer in the streets? That's what's happening here. These people of Israel, they've been in bondage. They've been in captivity to the Roman Empire and they've been told a deliverer is coming. Someone is going to set you free and finally he's here. And so you'd expect their response to be worship. Yet Simeon prophesies something different. Says that won't be the case. Instead of worship, instead of celebration, it's actually going to look so much different. Let's read 34 and 35 again. And Simeon blessed them. He said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed to get this about the arrival of Jesus. It's the inbreaking of a kingdom. It's the arrival of the kingdom of God. And when you have an arrival of a kingdom and a king, it's not something you can just ignore. Right? You don't have that luxury. If you're under a certain system of government or rule or monarch or leader, and then some other leader shows up, it, it's showtime, right? You can't ignore it. Imagine back in November, right? Peak election season. Imagine, you know, you have Biden and Trump and they're going at it, trying to get elected. And suddenly Queen Elizabeth II shows up on the scene, right? Queen Elizabeth, who's been queen of England for like 300 years or something crazy like that. She shows up in Washington, DC. And she's like, guess what, America? I'm the new leader. I'm the queen. You can't ignore her, right? You have one of two options in that moment. Either you're saying, yep, all hail the queen or you're sending her on the first plane back to Buckingham palace. Like those are your options. If, if a new king or queen or monarch or ruler and a new kingdom shows up and says, this is now mine. My kingdom is here. I'm in charge. You cannot ignore it. You either accept it and embrace it or you oppose it. This is what's happening in Luke 1 and 2. Jesus shows up to the Jewish people with their ways of thinking and systems and religious orders that they've established, their own rulers and leaders, and then also to a Jewish people under Roman oppression with this Caesar guy trying to make everyone think he's a God. And in this moment, God sends Jesus and he declares, this is mine. This is my kingdom. This is true and it is happening. Are you in or are you out? And Simeon says, this arrival of a kingdom, it's going to press people. It's going to force people to decide, is Jesus king or not? That cute, cuddly baby in a manger is Lord of the universe. So you don't just get to stare lovingly and sing some songs and bring him some gifts. He's, He's king. The line is drawn in the sand. Are you in or are you out? There's three specific ways that Simeon says Jesus draws that line in the sand. Three specific warnings that he gives to Mary and Joseph. The first is he says that Jesus is going to bring division. This is what we read in verse 34. He says, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. For some, this arrival of Jesus as king in a kingdom will be their rising. It's the same word translated later in Luke for a resurrection. For some, the inbreaking of the kingdom of God will be the greatest news they've ever heard. They'll believe, they'll receive it, they'll repent, they'll turn from their sin and towards God. And they'll experience a new life, a new resurrection. To to use the language of Jesus in John 3, they'll be born again. 
This Jesus will become everything to them. He'll be savior. He'll be Lord. He'll be king. But for others, it will bring a fall, destruction, despair. They'll reject Jesus to their own demise and shame. We see this throughout the gospels, right? Judas who betrayed Jesus, the religious leaders who despised Jesus. We see this throughout the New Testament and church history. The arrival of Jesus either brings life or brings death. Second warning we see is that Jesus doesn't just bring division, but he also has opposition. Opposition. Like like I said, you can't just ignore Jesus. Read this, picking up in verse 34. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. Jesus can't just be met with rejection or indifference, but there's also going to be opposition. Why? Because Jesus came to a people who loved their sin. And he told them to repent and to trust in him. And that's a divisive message. It's a divisive kingdom. This is what Jesus says in John 3, 19 through 20. He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. Jesus says people are opposed to him. They hate him who is the light because they love darkness. They love their sin. And so Jesus, the long awaited Messiah finally comes and he doesn't find joy and celebration and worship like he deserves, but rather he finds rejection and opposition, ultimately death on a cross. Why? Because it's the inbreaking of a kingdom that doesn't let you sit on the fence. And Jesus and his gospel and his people have been opposed ever since. Right after all, in John 15, Jesus warns his followers, they hated me, so don't be surprised if they hate you too. And this hatred has been true since Jesus shows up in Luke 1. Right In Acts, Christians are murdered for sharing the gospel, largely because they declare that Jesus is Lord and not Caesar. In the early church, Christians are burned at the stake because they declare that Jesus is Lord and not Nero. In Egypt, for the past four years, Christians have been killed in violent attacks across the country because they declare that Jesus is Lord and not Allah. While we may not face the threat of our own lives here in America, don't be surprised, church, if you're mocked or looked down upon or rejected because you declare that Jesus is Lord and not your desires, not the cultural current, and not the latest ideologies. Christ brings division and Christ brings opposition. Let me say this real quick. One of the biggest, I guess you can call it excuses that, that we give that I've heard that, that I myself am tempted to give of why I don't share the gospel with people, why I don't open up about who Jesus is and what he has done for me, what he's done on the cross for humanity is that we're afraid of how people will react, right? We're afraid how they'll treat us. We're afraid what they'll say. And, and one of the ways when we share that with each other, Hey, I'm just scared. I'm scared how they're going to treat me. It's my friend, all of that. One of the ways we try to encourage each other is to say things like, well, Hey, that's all right. Like I've shared the gospel with someone and and it actually really went really well. It didn't, they didn't reject me at all. Like, I think you can do it too. Or, or man, do you really think they're going to hate you? Like if they're your friend, like they're not going to reject you. They're going to love that you said something. And what's the worst that can happen, right? They're going to say, no, thanks. I'm, I'm good, but thanks anyways. And, and those are definitely encouraging. That's not wrong to say to each other, but I need you to hear me on this. Christ brings opposition. Like this message that we have, the, the good news of the gospel is good news, but it's also offensive. 
right? We're saying to people, we've believed ourselves, you are a sinner separated from God, that you are evil, that you have done evil, and that Jesus had to come and die to make a way for you to be made right with God, that on your own, you cannot do it. On your own, you are not a good person. On your own, you are not a righteous, holy person that belongs with God, and yet God came and made a way, and Jesus died, and he rose again, defeating Satan, sin, and death, so you could be a son or daughter of God. That's offensive, especially in today's culture, especially in today's climate. It is offensive to tell someone, hey, you're off, you're wrong. You're actually not okay, even though you think you are and you can't fix yourself. This gospel that we have is offensive. We, if we are sharing it, we will face opposition for Christ. In fact, if I can say it directly, if you currently aren't experiencing any sort of backlash or any sort of pushback for being a Christian, you should probably stop and ask yourself if you're faithfully following Jesus. Because if you're faithfully following him, you will experience opposition because the good news of the gospel and Christ brings opposition. Lastly, Christ brings revelation. Christ brings revelation. Verse 35, Simeon says, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. When King Jesus shows up, it reveals the hearts of many. He doesn't let you sit on the fence. He reveals whether he is truly king of your life or going to be king of your life or not. You can't hide. You can't front with Jesus. It's not possible. I remember reading a story uh, one time about a guy who took his friend to Paris. It was a place that he loved, and so he wanted to share it with his friend, and so he wanted to show him all the best things of Paris. And so he, he took him to the Louvre and showed him all of these beautiful, world-renowned paintings and pictures and all of this fantastic art. And then later that night, they went to uh, the Phil Harmony Concert Hall, and they listened to this beautiful symphony and all of this wonderful music. And then after the concert, they went walking around the streets of Paris, just looking at all of this beautiful, age-old architecture. Afterwards, his, his, he asked his friend, he, he was so excited to show him, he just wanted to know what he thought. And so he asked his friend, hey, hey, what did you think of today? And his friend replied to him, you know, I, I wasn't really all that impressed. Like, it's okay, whatever. And the friend re- replied to that. He said, well, if it's any consolation to you, the museum and its art were not on trial, and neither was the symphony or the architecture. You were on trial. History has already judged the greatness of those works of art and the greatness of that music. All that is revealed by your attitude is the smallness of your own appreciation. Probably weren't friends after that anymore. But what he was getting at there was he's saying, hey, these things are great. Like these things are, they're great. What it reveals, if you don't appreciate it, what it reveals, if you don't see them as that is not an indicator of their worth or their value or their awesomeness. It's actually a reflection of you and your own heart. And guess what? The same is true of God. God is not on trial. When he shows up, he declares, I am king. And it puts our hearts on trial. It's our lives that are put on trial. Will we accept him as Lord or not? Jesus is not a viewpoint for us to consider. He's not a worldview for us to try out. He's not a philosophy for us to ponder and see how it might fit into what we already want for our lives. Jesus is king. That doesn't change whether we accept that or not. That doesn't change whether we allow him to be in our lives or not. And so the question for us in this Advent season, and the question I want to close with this morning as we head into the Christmas week and and all of that is this. Are we going to let Jesus be in our lives what he already is in the world? 
We're going to let Jesus be in our lives what he already is in the world. Jesus has come. His kingdom is here. He's a conquering king. The kingdom of God is here and it's available to all who would believe and declare together that Jesus is savior and Lord. He is the king of the world. The question is, are you going to let him be king of your life? You're going to get off the fence. Are you going to stop trying to live with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God? Are you going to stop thinking you can say with your lips, Jesus is the Lord, but let your life revolve around you and your marriage revolve around you and your career revolve around you and your kids revolve around you? Are you going to finally stop letting your security and comfort and apathy rule over you and instead let King Jesus rule over you? If you know the story of the Alamo, you know that after Colonel Travis makes the line in the sand, all but one man cross over and they declare their intention in that moment to stay and to fight and to die if they must and die. They did all 188 men who stayed and fought for independence were killed less than 24 hours later by the opposing forces. Now these men are regarded by most in Texas as courageous heroes. Listen, Jesus comes and he draws a line in the sand for those of us that make him king and Lord in our lives. There's no promise of ease or comfort or security. Taking the side in the sand of Jesus and his kingdom does not bring a guarantee for our lives of peace and prosperity If anything, you're signing up for your life to be harder. You're signing up to learn how to die to yourself and live for the kingdom of God. You're signing up for a life that says my life is no longer about me. It's about Jesus. And that's hard. It might bring with it real tangible pain and suffering. And yet he's worth it. He's worth it. He's King Jesus. He's better And the good news for us in the gospel, the good news for us in the Christmas story, the good news for us in Luke 1 and 2 is that Jesus goes first. He was the one who came to us. He was the one who entered into our suffering. He was the one that took on flesh, that lowered himself and came to earth. He was the one that first sacrificed for us on the cross, declaring declaring the defeat of death and salvation for all who would believe. And he is the one who will rule and reign forever with his glory and his presence being enjoyed by all who trust in him. And so the question we have to ask is, will we let Jesus be in our lives? Would he he is already in the world, a king in charge on the throne. That's the invitation of the prophecy of Simeon. That's the calling of Advent. That's what we celebrate this week on Christmas. A king and a kingdom are here. Jesus is on the throne. He's going to reign forever. Let's pray together. God, we are grateful for this Advent season. I'm grateful for your word. We're grateful for the songs we've gotten to to look at and to celebrate from Luke 1 and 2. We're we're grateful for Simeon. This beautiful, wonderful, faithful example of a man who waited on you, who had eyes to look and see the, the arrival of the promised Messiah, who declares that when Jesus shows up, there's salvation for all who would believe, both Jew and Gentile, but also that there's division There's opposition, there's revelation, that when Jesus shows up, a line in the sand is drawn. 
A new kingdom is here. A new kingdom is taking over. Lord, I pray as we go into Christmas this week, as we finish out this Advent season, as we head into a new year full of new possibilities and excitement, but also full of uncertainty. How would you help us make you in our lives, which you already are in the world, a king? Number one, most important, most glorious, most deserving of our worship and our praise and our adoration and our sacrifice. Jesus, help us to see you as worth it. Lord, we love you. Help us. We need your spirit. We need your power. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen.